Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you're in the room live, watching online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, it's a great day to be at Dayspring. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. One little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. Even if you aren't sure that you want to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church by checking out our Facebook page or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Well, just over a week ago, I was, uh, uh, a week ago this last Saturday, I was sitting in my office working when I received this text. From an unknown number, someone writes, Hi, are you busy tomorrow? Unless I'm expecting a text from someone who is not on my contact list, I make it a practice to never respond to an unknown number or even answer a call from an unknown number. My time is way too valuable to me to waste with robocalls and the like. Anyone else feel the same way? Yeah. An hour and 20 minutes later, from this same number, this someone texts me again. This time there's a little more pressure applied. Are you busy? Didn't reply to my text? No duh, Sherlock. And for the purposes of this message, you're lucky I didn't just delete it, as I usually do. When text number two prompted no response, a few hours later, I get this. Annie, the numbers we exchanged with each other at Jack's birthday party, don't you remember? This is me. And then to sweeten the pot, the texture adds this picture. Now, the text, this text chain is a pretty standard beginning to what is called... The pig butchering scam, also known as the romance scam. It could have started with, have you seen my dog? Which I've also gotten. Or some other seemingly innocent opening sentence. It is called the pig butchering scam because it is a long con. The goal is to gain the trust of the victim before stealing their money. By the way, in case it isn't obvious, you're the pig they are looking to butcher. Now, the first step is to hook you. They want you to reply with, sorry, wrong number, or, oh, I hope you find your dog, which tells them two things. One, your number is a real phone number, which makes it way more valuable to the scam chain. And number two, you are the kind of person they can get to respond. That will lead to another text 
Maybe with a picture of them and their found lost dog. Or a, a picture of them just leaving the gym after their workout. For the record, the Chinese version of WhatsApp has a database of pictures that they use for these purposes. I guarantee you that my texture isn't the person I received a picture of. In fact, there's no guarantee that my texture is even a woman. It could be a man or even a child. I learned this on the Jordan Harbinger podcast in his interview with Winston Sturzel, a South African vlogger and video producer who has his own YouTube channel. He lived in China for 14 years and consequently has an expertise on that part of the world. Now, most of the texts you and I receive like this are scams run by the Chinese Tong out of Vietnam. Which begs the question, why would the Chinese Tong run a scam out of Vietnam. Well, they started, they started out scamming more than a billion dollars out of Chinese citizens. But in China, it's illegal to scam Chinese citizens, but not illegal to scam non-Chinese people. Uh, but that led them to, to Vietnam where they could scam anybody without pressure from the Chinese government. I don't know how you picture these scammers, but in reality, they could only be described as scam farms. And most of their labor is provided by trafficked women and children. Now, had I played this one out, I it would have eventually led to bilking me out of the millions I make as a pastor. <laughs> it would start with a small, casual conversation designed to keep me engaged while building relationship with this real person. And not just any relationship, ideally I'll fall in love with Annie, as she calls herself in this text chain. Once, once the heart is engaged, it's a pretty easy journey to your bank account. Oh, I need to have a tooth fold, but I can't afford the dentist. It's only $200. What should I do? Well, here, I'm an American hero. Let me send it to you. What's $200 for the love of your life? It can also lead you to investing in cryptocurrency. When they send, a, send you a picture of them in their new fancy car that they earned by investing just $1,000 in crypto, you'll want one too. They can even help you get as rich as they have become. And on and on. Uh, bottom line, don't lose your bacon by falling for the pig butchering scam. This is one counterfeit you don't want to fall for. So don't even reply. Now, at this point, you might be wondering what this has to do with the Apostle Peter's second letter to the churches in Asia Minor. Well, nothing, technically. But the pig butchering scam isn't the only kind of counterfeit operation now or even in history. And in Peter's time, in the first century church, false teachers were leading the people, leading people to a counterfeit Christianity. And and of all the cons in the world to fall for, the most damaging is the deception of religious hucksters. If you're joining us for the first time, we are nearing our end, the end of our series on this rock. We've been taking a look at the hope that comes when our lives are built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. No, no matter what comes our way, no matter how crazy the world gets around us, we are unshakable when Jesus is our firm foundation. And much like our first century brothers and sisters, life is a little crazy. Uh, they were facing the persecution of Rome under the direction of that infamous fiddler, Nero. Here in the U.S., it isn't that bad. But the Christian life is clearly under pressure to conform 
to the wisdom of this world rather than the values and principles of God's word. And with all of the other pressures of life, financial, uh, emotional, relational, physical, however the pressure comes for you, we need the security we find on and in the rock, which we've been unpacking in First and Second Peter. The letters written by the Apostle Peter to churches in Asia Minor so long ago. Now today we are diving into 2 Peter chapter 2. So if you're following along in your Bible or on your YouVersion Bible app, go ahead and navigate there. Of course, we'll have it on the screens for you as well. Chapter 2 begins with the word, but. Which is our clue that the end of chapter 1 is still in play. Peter is building on those thoughts. Now just as a reminder, as Pastor Michelle taught us last week, Peter ends uh, what we know as chapter 1, but in the original language would have just been the last paragraph of the letter. He ends it by reminding the readers that his and the other apostles' teaching credentials were earned with first-hand experience. They saw and witnessed firsthand the words and works of Jesus. They didn't have to make up fanciful stories because they were there as those fanciful stories were actually occurring. But by this point in time, eyewitness believers were in short supply. Many had died or been martyred. The second generation of the church was one step removed from the actual words and miracles of Jesus. And heresies like Gnosticism had begun to creep into church doctrine. Now, among other things, the Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus had come in the flesh, but only in spirit. Uh, the letters of the Apostle John written a few years later than these words from Peter confirm that Peter's eyewitness experience with Jesus was an important defense against this heresy. Without a flesh and blood Jesus, you can't have a flesh and blood sacrifice. And without a flesh and blood sacrifice, you can't have a resurrection. No sacrifice equals no atonement for our sins. No resurrection equals death. Still in control. Once you start veering from truth, anything is possible. Doctrine matters. It mattered then and it matters now. Now, we are far more than one step removed from the actual words and miracles of Jesus, which means we have to be even more vigilant. We have no eyewitness apostles to correct us now. Which brings us back to but. Chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Now, false prophets or teachers of heresy were not a new thing with the birth of the church. False prophets had been leading the people of God astray since Miriam and Aaron went up against Moses. The, the prophets of the Old Testament, like the major and minor prophets we find in the second half of the Old Testament, they were sent by God to counter the heresy of false prophets who were successfully leading people, leading the Israelites off the narrow path into idolatry. One such prophet was Jeremiah. Uh, R.C. Sproul in his commentary writes, Every time Jeremiah spoke the word of God, he was contradicted by myriads of false prophets. So he decided to quit. He got fed up. 
In Jeremiah chapter 20, he complains, Oh Lord, you misled me. And I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am and you overpowered me. It's your fault, God. Now I am mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the, the words burst out. Violence and destruction. I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Well, I, I guess he quit until he couldn't keep his mouth shut anymore. History has a habit of repeating itself. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that they were constantly letting false prophets lead them into idolatry. Then God would let them have their own way until they couldn't stand it any longer and they would cry out for rescue. God would send rescue and they would follow for a while, usually through the life of the prophet or judge or the little s savior. And when that leader died, it wasn't long before the people started the cycle all over again. Peter would like to keep that cycle from happening in the church. Heresy destroys our understanding of the truth of God. It doesn't just lead people astray. Distorted truth devastates and destroys people's faith. Many people in this room and even watching online have had to overcome the heresy of legalism in their own lives. To which I say, keep at it. It's worth fighting your way to the truth of God's word. Too many people just walk away thinking that that distorted picture of God that they grew up with is real. Which leads us to verse 2. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Heretics harm more than themselves. They take people down with them. And when it comes to shameful immorality, think about the headlines we've seen in the past few years uh, of the pastors and other highly visible Christ followers who have lost their platform because of sin or who have deconstructed their faith publicly. Their fall from grace doesn't just impact them. It impacts their families and the people who have trusted them. It ripples out layer after layer, harming the cause of Christ in the eyes of the world. At the end of the day, no one should ever evaluate Christianity on the basis of anyone other than Jesus. However, we, the followers of Jesus, make him visible to the world around us. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. We make Christ tangible. The way we love uh, makes Jesus sticky for other people. It's attractive. Who wouldn't want to be loved like Jesus loves, right? When we fail, we diminish Christ in the eyes of people who haven't yet figured out how to make Christ the ultimate measure of Christianity. And to the world, we make Christ a bigger object of mockery. We who preach and by that, I don't just mean me up here on this stage, but you too. You have a platform to preach Christ in your daily life. It might be smaller, but it is still a platform. We who preach Christ must live in a way that we are the proof that Jesus changes lives from the inside out. That is only possible when we live in alignment with the principles and values that we find in God's word. When we don't, we are the heretics. But hey, no pressure. 
to be clear, Peter is specifically talking about people like me who have a larger responsibility in the context of the church on and off stage. I've just extrapolated out a ripple or two. At the end of the day, you are responsible to make sure that your life aligns with God's word regardless of what I say because you lead someone. And for those people with platforms like this one who teach false doctrine, verse 3, in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. False Prophets use people for their own ends, for their own advantage. Here in the New Living Translation, it specifically ties their greed to money, but other translations simply refer to a covetousness that exploits. So it it might be greedy for your money, but it could also be greedy for the power that having followers gives them or the fame that their platform grants them. You should be able to trust your pastors and elders. God takes a very dim view of the abuse of leadership, which is heresy, just like any other heresy. Anything that distorts distorts the view of God in any of his three forms, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, or as Avery says, the horizontal spirit, (laughs) anything that distorts the truth of God or someone's picture of God is heresy. Believe this, God will deal with it in his own time. Peter continues in verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. For, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. Peter is referring to the original fall of the angels led by Lucifer. Lucifer who wanted to be like God or equal with God, which is heresy. When he and the third of the angels who rebelled with him rebelled against God, God evicted them from heaven and locked them in hell, except for Satan who prowls the earth like a lion, where they are awaiting their judgment. So if that was the result of their heresy, do you think God will let these first century heretics off the hook? Of course not. Now, from here, beginning in verse 5, Peter gives two more examples of God's judgment on heresy. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Now, you'll find both of these stories in the, in the book of Genesis if you want to follow up later on your own. These three examples serve as a warning against being seduced by false teachers. And in Lot's case, we see a man who didn't participate in the evil around him, but there was still a cost to his soul. False doctrine always leads to ungodly living. Frankly, it's hard enough to be righteous even when we do hold on to the truth. Our bodies fight us every step of the way. So if we are going to live by the principles of God's word, we have to first know what those principles are. 
Now we find some good news at the start of verse 9. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. Now, that's the good news in this passage. We serve a God who knows how to rescue. He is in the business of rescue. But what's interesting to me about these verses is that there is a very similar passage in the letter that Jude wrote. It is the next to last book of the New Testament, right before Revelation. Like Peter, Jude was one of the original disciples. He is the other Judas, not the betrayer, uh, also known as Thaddeus. You can check that out later as well if you want. In talking about false teaching, Jude also uses the rebellious angels and Sodom and Gomorrah as examples of God's justice. And like Peter, he talks about the audacity, the arrogance of these false teachers to scoff at or judge these supernatural beings as if these teachers are better than the angels who have become demons and have the right to judge fallen angels. And then we see in here, then as we see in here in verse 11, when it comes to angels bringing a charge of blasphemy against other angels, Jude tells us, it, for his example, that the archangel Michael didn't even rebuke Satan, but left his judgment in God's hands. Now, I'm not sure if Jude and Peter, as some of the last living eyewitnesses, got together to strategize how to combat false prophets, or if one of them was influenced by the other's writings, or they just wrote uh, almost identical passages under the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it certainly illustrates for us how pervasively the infection of heresy was impacting the church. Now that's just a teaser for those of you who like to go deeper. You can follow up on your own later. For us, our culture is clearly on the path of Sodom and Gomorrah. The days are dark spiritually and getting darker. There is no fear of God and the arrogance of those who would rewrite the scriptures into their own making is getting louder. When the Apostle Paul writes about how sin works in the context of our fallen world, he says that, that people not only continue doing evil things, but encourage others to be involved in evil as well. Evil loves company. It's the nature of sin, and it's only going to get worse. Which means we must be more and more vigilant about rightly aligning our lives to the truth of God's word, lest we fall victim to heresy. It's easy for us as believers to think of, of God's judgment only in the context of those who refuse to submit or to believe in Jesus. But the New Testament very clearly also directs wrath and judgment to heretics and heresy. Probably because there is a direct connection between false doctrine and sinful living. When truth is distorted or denied, it inevitably leads not just to an error in our thinking, but to moral corruption. We become like the false teachers who, who are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught 
and, uh, and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand. And like animals, they will be destroyed. As Sproul says in his commentary, heresy is not usually the forte of the washerwoman or the normal person. It is the occupation of the scholar and the theologian who are puffed up with knowledge and have no fear of God. They are like unthinking fools. But the sad truth is they make unthinking fools of those who follow their teachings. Like creates like. And the washerwoman, or the normal person, too, carries the weight of their own destruction. Of which their destruction is their reward for the harm that they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes. And their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. And they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. Now, in case it isn't clear, Peter isn't talking about the world in general here. He is talking about pagans, as he would probably call them. He is talking about what we would call apostates, people who appear to be Christ followers, but in truth are not Christ followers. They put on a good show. Uh, these are people who go to church for all the wrong reasons, not the right one. In today's day and age, they are more likely to spread their heresy in church in small doses, they take Jesus and add whatever they want to the gospel or subtract whatever they don't want. However they do it, they are really unbelievers in the midst of believers. In the words of Jesus, they are goats in the midst of sheep. And sooner or later, they will face their judgment. They are like Balaam, another Old Testament prophet who made a show of giving a word from God until God gave him a word or two through his donkey. Verse 17. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. Their, their teachings are sand like you'd find in wells that have run dry, giving life to no one. Or the promise of rain in a cloudy sky, not an Oregon sky, that never delivers on its promise. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. Other translations say they deliver with empty words, words that don't give life, which are the kind of words that we are called to speak, but words that take life, words that are empty promises, slanderous accusations, hostile. Throughout history, heretics have been known to take the words of Scripture, twist them, and then use them in ways that God never intended. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave of whatever controls you. This has been Satan's tactic since the Garden of Eden. Is that really freedom? Being able to sleep with whoever you want, that's freedom. Being able to use your words however you want, that's freedom. You are slaves 
of whatever controls you. Which as a side note is why Peter and Paul call themselves slaves or bondservants of Christ. From the beginning, Satan has pounced on the lie that a Christ-centered, biblical, value-driven life is bondage. But that's really the only thing heretics have to promise. Bondage. The farther you deviate from a Jesus-aligned life, the less power you have to stay free from sin's bondage. So, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. Worse off than before because now a whole new set of lies takes over. You aren't good enough. God doesn't love you enough to cover this sin. You'll never be free. See, a life without God at all isn't susceptible to these lies. They have a whole different set of lies. But for the Christ follower who falls back into sin, our entire identity comes under attack. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another one says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Like Peter started out calling false prophets unthinking animals. So as he closes, he returns to these two metaphors. At the time he wrote this, dogs were not the family pet like they are today. They were despised scavengers, the lowest form of wildlife. So Peter is dumping heretics at the bottom of the food chain. And like dogs, pigs were despised by the Jews as well. No bacon for you. The, the filth of pigs is almost indescribable. And you rinse them off only to have them return to their happy place, the stinky mud. Heretics entice people to leave God's truth for a greater liberty that is the kind of freedom that ends in vomit and mud. And even though you should remain vigilant about what you hear from pastors like me, in reality, you only get me for 40 minutes a week. That's just over 2,000 minutes per year if you come to church every week. However, the internet is bursting to overflowing with heretical hucksters. You find them subtly undermining truth 30 seconds at a time on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Statistically, you spend 147 minutes per day letting them influence you. They are leading people to bondage, which is Christ, as false Christ followers, is the only thing they, that a heretic can lead you to. They haven't experienced true freedom themselves. One cannot take you to places they've never been. So it's all just mud. Sound appealing? Of course not. But then why do we fall for it? So the question I, I have for you before we move into worship is this. Have you fallen prey to heresy? Before you jump to no, really think through the way you live 24-7. In what ways is your daily living out of alignment with Jesus? If, if you've got a sin pattern in your life, that's heresy. It distorts truth. You're a heretic. Sin patterns say, I know better than God does about what's best for my life. 
Don't think for a moment that just because it's a little sin that it doesn't matter. Little sins lead to big sins. That's the message of Peter. And any sin is an affront to God. So I'd suggest you start by praying that God would lead you to alignment issues in your life. Sometimes we're blind to our own junk and we need him to shine a little light in the darkness because our eyes have adjusted to the mud pit we found ourselves in. Let me leave you with Peter's words from chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Stay diligent. Fight to stay aligned with truth. Don't fall for counterfeit freedom. It's a scam. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Father, right now we, we just ask the Holy Spirit to do some work in each one of us. We pray that um, the Holy Spirit would shine light in the dark places. The places where um, we have let our sin lead the way. The, the places where maybe there's some, some actual doctrine that has gotten in the way of our relationship with you. That has led us down the path of heresy. Give us eyes to see the truth of your word in our own lives and in the world around us. You're, you're calling us to be the kind of people who rightly align our lives with your word. Every part of our lives, all to Jesus, we surrender. Not just some. So just clean up the mud. And then give us what we need to stay out of the mud again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, on your own or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God does His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, 
thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.